Hi, welcome to Calvary HSM. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, we'll grab a seat. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Howard. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Calvary um, and grateful to be with you all here. Hey, last 5 p.m. of the year. Um, man, I, if you're like new or newer to church, this might not make a lot of sense to you, but if, if this is your church home and you come here a lot, let me just like speak this over you that like powerful things happen here in this room at 5 p.m. on Sundays. It, it just really is true. And like I've just seen this for so many years of God moving in power. And I just would just grieve uh, if you ever took this for granted uh, of what God does here in this space. So grateful to be here. Looking forward to that. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. So you can have a hard copy Bible or on your phone. Always hope that you would have, if you're a follower of Jesus, the, the Bible app on your phone so that you have the Bible everywhere you go. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to go. Now, Christmas is this interesting time of year where we tend to kind of tell these stories about Christmas. And, and, and if you're just like grew up in church, here's what you'll know, uh, that we tend to at Christmas tell the same stories over and over and over again. Like, do you know that there is a population of people? Do you know that there is a population of church folk um, who call themselves church folk and they only come to church once a year and it's on Christmas? And so the complaint we get from them every single year is every time I come to your church, you guys are talking about the same thing. And we're like, well, yeah, you come on Christmas. Of course we're going to talk about Christmas. But then you think about the complaint, and it's a little funny to realize that actually what, what occurs is every Christmas we end up talking about the same thing. Because realistically, there's not a lot of material in the Bible about Christmas. Like if you don't know the Bible, there are four stories about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really only two of those gospels have anything to do with the life and the story of Jesus' being born. So you've got the gospel of Mark that begins with Jesus as an adult. So we've got nothing about Christmas in there. And then you've got John, the gospel of John, and it talks about Jesus coming into the world, but it doesn't describe Christmas at all. And so really all we do every year is we look at the narratives in the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke, and we tell those same few stories about Mary and Joseph and shepherds and angels and magi over and over and over and over again. And if you grow up in church, you can actually get kind of used to it. Like, I've heard the story of Mary before. I've heard the story of the wise men before. I've heard the story of the angels before. And so you can actually get numb to it. But here's what I want to point out that's true in your life. It is true in my life as well. When families get together, when families get together, we tend to tell the same stories to one another over and over and over and over again. Like, this is true of my family. When we get together for a family reunion, when people get together in my family, we tend to tell the same stories that happened years ago over and over and over again. People tell the story, we laugh, not because it's new information, but because stories in your family and stories in my family shape how we see ourselves. Like, the stories your family repeats over and over are the stories that start to shape how you see yourself and what you believe your family is all about. And here's what I want you to know about the Christmas stories. It's just a few stories that we tell over and over and over again every year. And these stories shape who you are and how you see yourself. See, tonight I want to share a story with you. And the short story isn't going to be shocking or new or different. It's going to be the same old story that you've heard over and over again. And yet I believe that God is going to use this story to continue to remind you tonight who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I don't assume all of you are, but if you are a follower of Jesus, this story should be a reminder for you of the way you are supposed to live. And then here's the cool thing. If you are not a follower of Jesus, 
You're not even sure what to do with Jesus. You're not even sure if you believe in God. You're just kind of trying to figure out this whole faith thing, but you're here tonight. What's so cool about you being here tonight is I think this story is going to give you a snapshot of what we as Christians actually believe. Because what we want is to make up your own mind. Like, you make up your own mind. We're not going to control or kind of force anything upon you. But tonight, I hope you see clearly what we as Christians believe about who our God is and who we are in response to that. So if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 46. Uh, I'm going to put it up here um, on the screen. In verse 46, it begins with these words. Uh, Luke chapter 146, it says, and Mary said, do we have that? I don't even think we have that. All right, well, you win some, you lose some. All right, so Luke chapter 1 verse 46 says this. It begins the story with Mary, and really the only point of me sharing those few words is to point out um, the main character of our story today. The main character of our story is named Mary. Now, um, you don't even have to be a Christian to know who Mary is, like mother of Jesus, like this is the woman who gave birth to Jesus, like you get the whole story, right? But here's what most people, when they're telling the story, get like wildly wrong. Um, What they get wildly wrong is how old Mary was. Like I want you to know that the average age that a woman would be engaged or married in Jewish culture at that time was 15 years old. Raise your hand if you are currently 15 years old. Across the room, raise them high, raise them high. Come on, coach, be honest. 15, 15, okay. 15 years old. So, so listen, that's how old Mary probably was. Like sometimes in your mind, you hear the story of Mary, and because she's pregnant and having a baby, you make her the age of your mom. But she's not the age of your mom. She's your age. This is the story of a teenager. And here's what happens to this teenager. This teenager is engaged to be married. She's about to be married. She's got a ring on her finger. Not really, but she's got that. And she's like getting ready for her wedding day. And that's coming up. And in the midst of being 15 years old and being about to be married, here's what happens. This is crazy. Luke chapter one, verse 31 through 33. An angel appears out of nowhere. So that's crazy. Like she's just like moving along with her life. And suddenly an angel shows up. And here's what the angel says. You, this is Mary, you will conceive meaning you're going to get pregnant, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So it's like the angel of the Lord shows up to a 15-year-old girl and says this, you're going to get pregnant. It's going to be a boy. Name him Jesus. What's he going to be? He's going to be great. He's going to be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, which means he is going to be a ruler over a kingdom. And it says he will reign like he will rule over Jacob's descendants. Jacob's descendants is another way the Bible talks about the nation of Israel. He will rule and reign over the nation of Israel, God's people. And it says his kingdom will never end. Like again, don't put this outside of your mind. If you got in your car and on your way home tonight, suddenly there was a blinding light and you had to jam on the brakes and pull to the side of the road and suddenly an angel was in front of you like, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. It would be terrifying and wonderful and beautiful and confusing. And that's what Mary's going on through this moment. Mary is experiencing this wild thing that the God of the universe just showed up to her and said, your whole life is about to change. And here's what's going to happen. Through your child, the entire world is going to be different. And it's this wild thing that God promises to this 15-year-old girl who no one has ever heard of. Like, let me put it to you this way tonight. 
Mary was given a beautiful promise and a big plan for her life. Here's the promise. You're going to conceive a son. He's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Here's the plan. You bring this child into existence. You raise him up. You care for him, feed him, clothe him. You have a plan. You have a purpose for your life. God has given this to Mary. And yet in this moment, after the angel says this, let me just point out one thing. None of it had happened yet. It's not like Mary was told she was going to be pregnant, and then she's like, what? And then looks down, and her stomach's like this. Like, that's not how it works at all. That's not how pregnancy works. She looks down. She looks normal. She feels normal. Nothing in her life has changed. She's been given this promise and this plan for her life, and yet nothing has actually happened yet. And here's why that's really interesting for all of you tonight. Because if this is just Mary's story, like, who cares, right? Like, okay, some random 15-year-old girl thousands of years ago had this story. Here's what's so cool about this story. I want you to know that you have been given a purpose and a promise and a plan for your life. Do you know that the God of the universe has looked at you and given you a promise? And here's the promise, like eyes on me, don't miss this. The God of the universe says, I will never leave nor forsake you. Meaning the God of the universe looks at you and says, whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever sin, whatever struggle in your life, I will never abandon you. He has given you a promise that he's going to be with you forever. And then because of that promise, he's given you a purpose. He's like, I'm going to do great things through your life. And does anyone in this room not want God to do great things through their life? Is anyone in here like, I hope God does nothing through my life. I hope my life is a total waste of time. No one wants that. The God of the universe says, I have a purpose. I have plans for you. And yet here's the wild thing. You're 15 or 14 or 16 or 18 or 17 years old in this room, and none of that's happened yet. Like, do you know that God has plans for you? Do you know that God has plans for your college years? That God has plans for your 20s? That someday some of you are going to be married? And God has plans for your husband or for your wife? Do you know that some of you will have children someday and God has plans for you with those children? Some of you will go into ministry or missions or business or teaching or government, and God has plans for you, but none of it has happened yet. And so tonight, here's the question I want to ask. What's true for Mary is true for you, and here's the question we just want to wrestle with the whole evening is this. What do you do when God's promises and plans haven't played out in your life yet? Because God promises to be with you, and he has great plans for your life, a hope and a future, a beautiful plan for your life specifically, and yet it hasn't happened yet. You're still in high school, and everything in your life seems ahead of you and in front of you, and it seems like you still have to get there yet. How do you act? What do you do? And here's the simple answer I want to give tonight. I want to give you this answer. What do you do? You praise him in advance. You praise him in advance. I was uh, communicating with some people the other day um, just about some things coming up, and someone asked me to do something, and they left a little note at the end of the email, and here's just what they said. They said, thanks in advance for what you're going to do. And that's so normal to us, and yet this is what exactly was happening. This person so understood that I was going to do exactly what I promised I was going to do that they thanked me in advance. And do you know what we do with God? We look at God who is a promise maker and a promise keeper. He promises he has great plans for your life and you thank him in advance because he's gonna do exactly what he said he's gonna do. That's what we as Christians get to do. We praise God in advance. Listen, there's something beautiful that happens when God does great things in our life and we praise him for what he's already done. But there is something bold and faith-filled of a teenager who is willing to praise God for what God's gonna do in your 20s, for what God's gonna do in your 30s, 
in your 40s, in the marriage you might have someday, with the kids you might have someday, with the career you might have someday, to actually take time to be like, God, you're going to take care of me every day and every decade of my life, and I believe that, and so I'm going to worship you, not once it's already happened, I'm going to worship you in advance. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight we're going to look at five reasons to praise God in advance. Five reasons Even though you don't see God's purpose, you don't see God's plan, you don't see the things God's going to do through your life, you don't see the ways God's going to raise you up, I'm going to give you five reasons for you to praise him right now, tonight, December 11th of 2022. I want to give you five reasons to praise God, even though your life has not played out yet. Five reasons to praise God in advance. And here's the cool thing. The way we're going to do it is through Mary's reaction to the angel's announcement. So the angel announces, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to give birth to a son, Name him Jesus. He's going to rule over everyone. And Mary, her first response isn't to deny it. It isn't to run away. It isn't to cry. It isn't to phone a friend and be like, what do I do? It isn't to Google, like, what do you do when angels show up? Like, none of that is what Mary does. What Mary does is she writes a song. She sings a song. And tonight, we're going to look at the song that Mary sang And we're going to try to understand five reasons for us to praise God in advance. So let's start this way, verse 46. Again, it says, Mary said, Mary sings this song. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So so here's what happens for Mary. Mary is told, God has a promise for your life. He has a plan for your life. He's going to do great things through your life. And the first thing she does is she goes, my soul just wants to honor God, to praise him for what he's going to do. And what does she call God? Like, how does she address him? She addresses him as God, my Savior. Uh, Like, here's what Mary gets so intuitively. Like, God has promises and plans for her life, but that's only true because God has rescued her. God has saved her. God has picked her up out of the pit. You want reason number one why you can praise God in advance tonight, December 11th of 2022, for the rest of the things that are going to happen in your life? Reason number one, God saves sinners like me. God saves sinners like you. Do you know what I mean when I say that God saves you? I mean that this is the human story for you and me and everyone who's ever lived. God created us, said, I would like you to live in this way. Here's what I created you to do. And every human being ever in human history has looked at God and God cool idea, forget you, God, I'm going my own direction. We have walked our own way, we have gone our own way, we have denied God, we have turned our back on him. The Bible defines that with a word called sin, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, meaning that when you look at the creator of the universe and go, forget you, I'm doing my own thing, the Bible says that you deserve judgment, that you deserve condemnation, that you deserve something the scriptures call hell, like where you just walk away from God for eternity. But you know what the beautiful thing about our God is? When we went, forget you, God, I'm doing my own thing and going my own way, God had every right to be like, you know what? Knock yourself out, walk into destruction. But that's not how our God sees you. That's not what our God did. I want you to know that the core story of the Bible is that God reaches down and saves wicked sinners like me and wicked sinners like you. The reason I can praise God in advance is because he's already rescued me. He saved me. He reached down and he saved me. And he saves us in three distinct ways. So so if I can just teach for a second tonight. Um, I want to teach you three words that are really important for you to know in the Bible. When it comes to how God saved you. Three different words. The, The first word, if you're writing down notes, is this word, justification. 
Justification is when God saves us from the penalty of sin. Justification is the moment I cry out to God. So again, the story of the human soul is me saying, forget you, God, I'm going my own direction. He rescues, calls me back, and I turn to him and I call out and say, God, I want you to rescue me. In that moment, we are justified, meaning like the judge of the universe declares us righteous. We are justified, and it saves us from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin is eternal death is eternal separation from God. Justification saves us from the penalty of sin. Then the second part of me being saved is my sanctification. Sanctification saves me from the power of sin. So I want you to know if you've come to Jesus, if you've called on his name, you've been baptized, the point is that from the moment you reach out to Jesus to the moment you die, slowly you're becoming more like Jesus. And slowly sin has less power over your life. Like the, the Christian life is not like come to Jesus, acknowledge that he's Lord, and struggle with sin just the same for your entire life and then die. Like the point of the Christian life is that you become less and less interested in sin and more and more interested in God. This is sanctification where sin loses its power over my life. Like here's what I want you to know. Like I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. Like I've been walking with Jesus now for 22 years. And I can tell you this that I still struggle with sin, sometimes with temptation. There's all sorts of things, but I love my sin less than I did 22 years ago. I love my Jesus a little more than I did 22 years ago. That's sanctification where sin just loses its power over my life. Like there's certain sins that you could have tempted me with when I was your age, but there's not a chance I'm giving into it now. Why? Not because I'm a better person, but because God has made me, he has saved me and made me more like Jesus. This power of sin has lost its power in my life. So there's justification, the moment where we are, we're removed from the penalty of sin. You got sanctification where we're being released from the power of sin. And then there will come a day where glorification comes. And glorification is where you are saved from the presence of sin. And glorification happens when you are with God in heaven, when he resurrects your body to eternal life. Like there will come a day where sin no longer is a thing in this world where Jesus will put it to death forever. You will resurrect, rule, and reign with him forever. Like there will come a day where sin's power, sin's penalty, and sin's presence are no more. And here's what's so cool. Before that day comes, we can worship him. Because if God promises there's gonna come a day where he resurrects us and makes us whole, and there's no more sin or death or crying or mourning or pain, and all of that is gone, he's a promise maker, and he's a promise keeper. And I can take that to the bank, and I'm gonna praise him in advance, because God rescues sinners like me. Verse 48 says this. Again, Mary is singing. He says, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's been mindful. And I look at this, and I love what Mary recognizes. Like Mary recognizes that she has a humble state. And humble state doesn't mean she's like, just like, oh, I'm so humble. It just means like her life isn't that awesome. Like, things aren't always that great. Like, she recognizes that there's nothing really notable, that she really struggles, is in need of God. And yet, what does Mary say? In the midst of a humble state, what does it say about God in verse 48? He has been mindful, which is Mary's way of saying, he's been thinking about me. You know reason number two, you can praise God right now? Reason number two is God pays attention to me and my life. He pays attention. He knows 
Like, I just need someone in this room to know that God knows every single thing going on in your life. He's not taking his eye off you. He knows you. He sees you. He understands. He's working his plan. God loves you. God sees you. God is working with you. God is in the midst of it. God pays attention to you and your life. It's like this. Um, so uh, the last week, all three of my kids have been really sick. In fact, I've been a little bit sick. Everyone in my house has been sick. Um, and we put the kids down to bed. If you don't know, I've got a five-year-old girl, a two-year-old boy, and a nine-month-old girl. And we put them down to bed. And the saddest thing in the world is sick kids coughing in the middle of the night. It is just the saddest thing. Because like when my nine-month-old coughs, like when you cough, you're like, <clears throat> when she coughs, it's like her whole body. It's like, <clears throat> you know, it's like, oh, you're laughing, but it's so sad. And like we're watching her. And, and, and maybe some of you don't know this, but like the way you care for kids when they're in bed at, at night is you have like these little monitors like these little TV screens where you're like watching them. It's like baby TV. It's great. And you're sitting there watching them. So we put them down to bed and they're coughing. And here's what we know. These kids are sick and the best place for a sick kid to be is in bed sleeping. But they're sitting there coughing and they're feeling it. And you can tell just how sick they are in that moment. And it would be a tragedy to me if in their little brains they thought to themselves, I'm here in bed and mommy and daddy don't even know what's going on. And it would be a tragedy because they don't understand that we're sitting downstairs with the monitors, watching them, keeping an eye on them, praying for them, weeping for them, wanting them to be better. And you know what a tragedy would be? If you're going through the thing you're going through right now and you think even for a moment your God has taken his eye off your monitor. He has taken his eye off you. The God of the universe sees you and he knows. Some of you live in a really crummy home. Can I say that out loud? Like some of you will go home tonight to a really crummy house. Maybe your mom is just not really present. Maybe your dad isn't really good. I, I just don't know. And some of you think like God doesn't even know what's going on in your home. He knows what's going on in your home. He sees it. Like some of you have some situation going on with your friends or at school, and it feels unjust and unfair and not right, and things aren't good, and you just feel like, does God even know? Does he even care? The answer is yes. He has his eye on you. He sees you. Some of you walk in just this overwhelming, crippling kind of anxiety and stress that is just melting you down inside. And you go, does God even care about what's going on in my heart? And the answer to all of this is yes. It's that he already knows. He's working a plan. And just like my children are in bed, and I'm leaving them in bed, not because I hate them, but because I love them. And this is the best place for them because this will bring them health. The God of the universe knows exactly what he's doing in your life. I don't know what God is doing in your life, and I will never pretend to know what God is doing, but God knows exactly what God is doing. The second reason we can trust him is God pays attention to me in my life. It goes on this way in verse 48. It says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary recognizes that her life is about to matter for generations to come. Mary recognizes that she's just this 15-year-old girl no one's ever heard of, and yet God is going to move in power, and for generations to come, even up to our generation, people will know her name and call her blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. And then notice what she says about God. Holy is his name. Holy is our God. And as strange as this may sound for some of you tonight, the reason that you can worship God for everything he's going to do in your 20s and your 30s and maybe your marriage someday and maybe your kids someday and everything that happens in your future in your life, the reason you can love God is because the God who loves me is holy. He's holy. 
And, 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 and that might just sound like a, a religious word that means very little to you. But I want you to know that's like the central feature of God. Like the central feature of God in the Bible is that he is holy. So, so when we say that God is holy, I, I want to point out three things that that means. Three things. Number one, when we say God is holy, we mean that he is utterly different. Utterly different. So sometimes I find myself uttering phrases like, well, if I were God, I would do blank. And here's what I want you to know. I'm never going to be like God. God is not like a bigger, smarter, wiser, more powerful version of me. We tend to think like the most powerful version of me is what God's like. And God looks at you and says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm not just like you. And the reason I can worship God and trust him is because he's not just like me. Because he's not just like us. He is utterly different than us. He is completely, wildly different than you. And so when you see things going on in this world and go, I don't understand how God could do that. God goes, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I am utterly different than you. Number two, God is totally righteous. Meaning everything God does or allows to happen, everything God weaves together in this world, he is totally right. We have no court to charge him in. We have no standing to be like, God, you did that one wrong. Whatever we think, whatever we feel, whatever we think should happen in this world, everything God does is right. And you know why that's good news for you? Because God is crazy about you. And everything he's doing in your life is for your good and for his glory. So when I say God is totally righteous, it means whatever that thing is in your life that you're so certain God can never do for good, God's saying, I'm doing all of that for your good. I'm building that together in your life. Even the worst and most despicable things that happen, God redeems and builds and is doing something with it. So number one, holiness means that God is utterly different. Number two, it means that he is totally righteous. And number three, God's holiness means that he is eternally glorified. Like God is eternally, forever glorified. And you know why that's such good news? It's such good news because God is ultimately through your life going to gain glory for himself. Like God has some plan for your life of what he's going to do in your 30s or when you're 46 someday or what he's going to do through your kids or what he's going to do through your career. And God's going to use all of that for your good and for his glory. These things work together. God's good or God's glory and our good, they work together perfectly. And so when I say God is holy, I mean that God is the type of God I can trust with an unknown future. That's what I mean when I say that God is holy. One of the reasons we can trust is because God is holy. We can worship him. Verse 50 says this. It says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, when the Bible says to fear God, um, there's kind of two things I want to say. Um, first is this. The Bible does not say to fear God in this kind of like terrified, if I do anything wrong, he's going to destroy me. Like that, that, that's actually not what the Bible means by that. But the Bible says we fear God in the same way that let's say you would fear fire, right? You understand fire can burn you. If you're sitting around a fire pit, you're not careless around there. You're kind of like aware of what's going to happen with your feet or your hands. You're not just going to like throw yourself into it. You're aware that there is power. So you have a certain reverence around it. But if there's like a fire pit lit outside, you're not like, ah! right? You're not running away. Fearing God is like that. It is having a reverence and an awareness and an actual fear that if I do this, if I approach this in the wrong way, there's actually something that could happen to me. And yet fear is having this awareness that God is holy. He is powerful. He is righteous. He is mighty. And I don't want to treat this in a small way. 
And yet, what does it say about this God that even though we fear him, what does it say? His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Let me just call this out in case this is true of you. I think some of you see God like this big, grumpy old man in the sky who looks down at you and goes, you don't read your Bible enough, and you don't pray enough, and you don't come to church enough, and you're not a good enough Christian, and you've sinned too many times, and you've stumbled too many times, and that addiction you're walking in, I'm just so sick of that. Some of you think God is like this grumpy old man in the sky with his arms crossed just scowling at you. And yet, let me remind you what Mary tells us about God here. It does not say his judgment, his anger, his bitterness, his condescension extends to those who fear him. It says his mercy extends to those who fear him. Reason number four that you can worship God now is that God is merciful to me when I struggle and fall. He's merciful to me. His heart, his heartbeat toward me is not anger and condemnation. It's not being sick of me. It's not contempt for me. God is filled with mercy and compassion for me. And as I move toward the Father God, he is filled with love for me. Well, like, let me put it to you this way. So, again, I got three kids, the five-year-old, two-year-old, and then uh, let me show you a picture of my nine-month-old Hope. Um, and so that's Hope. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty outrageous. Um, and that's, that's her. She's outrageous. Um, nine months old. Now, now, we're not quite at walking phase yet, but here's where we are with Hope. Um, Hope will crawl around on the ground, and then she'll find something like this speaker here. And then what she'll do is they, they call it pulling up on it, where she'll kind of grab it, and then she'll use that to like, stand up. And so she's holding on, and she's standing there looking at me. And I so desperately want her to walk. And that's not because like, I have this weird thing about walking. It's because like, that's a basic human thing, right? I want my daughter to walk. And so she's standing there holding on to this thing. And so from time to time, what I've done is sort of like position her toward me. And I'll be standing here with my wife. And we'll be like, walk to us, walk to us. And so she'll let go. And then we'll kind of get her and try to get her to take one step out. And she'll take one step out in walking. And then here's the most tragic thing about babies when they learn to walk. When you fall, you tend to like have some some sort of like reflex that catches you. Babies have not built that in yet, okay? So it is the most tragic thing in the world. They just fall. <laughs> that is so sad and hilarious. Um, but that's exactly what happens. They just fall to the ground, and yet we're doing it on our carpet or whatever to make sure she's all right. But here's the thing. She grips it, and then she looks at us, and she's like, okay, we're going to do it. And we try to get her to walk, and she tries to take a step, and she falls to the ground. Now, there's never been one moment where I have looked at my daughter, Hope, who was trying to walk toward me, and I have looked at her and been like, you are one pathetic baby. <laughs> Do better. I, you know what? If you're not even going to be able to walk to me, you might as well never walk to me. In fact, I'm going to walk away from you right now. You stay there in your puddle of tears, you small little child. How absurd would I be? I would be the worst father ever. And you know what's crazy? Some of you think God sees you that way. You're trying to walk toward the father and you stumble and you fall and you don't do it right. And some of you think the God of the universe looks at you and goes, you're pathetic. But that is not how God sees you. The God of the universe has mercy for you. He has compassion for you. The God of the universe looks at you and is not filled with contempt. He is filled with compassion like a father for his child. And someone in this house needs to know this. Someone needs to know that as you walk and stumble toward your God, he is not filled with rage toward you. Someone needs to know that he is filled with mercy. 
Someone needs to know these six words. He is not disgusted with you. He's not. He doesn't look at you and just feel like young man in this room who struggles with pornography and feels like you can never overcome it. He is not disgusted with you. Young lady who has a past and you're embarrassed and ashamed of what's happened or what you've done, he's not disgusted with you. A young man or woman who can't seem to read your Bible or pray or do this following Jesus thing very well at all, he's not disgusted with you. He is filled with mercy. As you walk toward the Father, he is filled with compassion and mercy. Don't you ever forget that. Because he's your Father. And every step you take in his direction, every time you move toward him, he is filled with joy, not contempt. It goes on this way in verse 51. It says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So as Mary's singing this song, you'll notice that over and over and over again, She's saying the same words. He has performed. He has scattered. He has brought down rulers. He has lifted up. He has filled. He has sent. He has helped. Like Mary's whole song here is remembering all of the good things God has already done. It's like Mary knows she's going to worship God in advance for what he's going to do, but she starts with the fact that God has already done good things. He already has a track record of showing up in her life. So here's reason number five, that we can worship God in advance. Number five, God keeps showing up in my life even when I don't deserve it. You know the reason you can worship God for what's going to happen in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s? It's because God showed up between now and the time you were born, right? It's like God showed up in your teenage years. God showed up when you were a kid. And if you're in here, you're like, God didn't show up. How's God shown up? Let me tell you a prayer I try to pray every morning. I'm not perfect. I don't always get to it. But I try to pray this prayer every morning. God, thank you for life and breath this morning. Because not everyone got it, right? Like, do you get that there are people who didn't get to wake up this morning, but you did? And you know what's crazy about me? Maybe this isn't true of everyone in this room, but here's what's true of me. I woke up in a bed this morning. And then I woke up and I got over to the light switch and I turned it on and light came into the room. And then I went into my closet to get dressed and there were clothes there. And then I went downstairs to the fridge and there was food in there. Like my entire day has been filled with blessings and all of those blessings are an indication that God has given me something I don't deserve. And when I say I don't deserve it, I mean that when I look at the God of the universe, I have no claim on him. I can't be like, God, uh, you, you kind of owe me uh, everything because I'm awesome. Like, I'm not awesome. And God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe you anything. And yet God continues to provide. So here's the crazy question. If God's provided your whole life, why would he stop now? Like, why in the world would he actually do that? And so what I want for you is to go, you know what? The reason I can worship God in the future is he keeps providing in the past. Like, gratitude is actually what stirs our worship. Gratitude becomes everything when you realize you, do, you deserve nothing. So what do we do? We're grateful for what God's done in the past, and then we look forward to what God is going to do in the future. So here's how we'll wrap up tonight. Our, our worship band will make their way forward, and um, as always, we'll close out the night with a few songs. And as we go into those songs, um, and as we sing, and as we worship, and as we praise God, um, here's simply what I want to do. I want to rehash these five reasons, five reasons to praise God in advance. And, and, and here's what I, I just wonder. Um, I think maybe some of these, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's like so part of my life. But I just wonder if for someone in this room, you need to almost like hold on to one of these. 
Like you need to take one with you and just kind of have that be the thing that you remember. Maybe you need to write it down, take a picture with your phone, but remind yourself these five things, five reasons to praise God in advance. Reason number one, God saves sinners like me. Reason number two, God pays attention to me and my life. Reason number three, the God who loves me is holy. Reason number four, that God is merciful to me when I struggle and fail. Reason number five, God keeps showing up in my life even when I don't deserve it. There's reasons. There's reasons for you to sing tonight. There's reasons for you to worship. Listen, God has a promise and a plan over your life, and none of that's happened yet. Most of that's ahead of you. But I want you to worship God, not just for what he's done, but for what he's going to do. Like someday, some of you are going to be married. Someday, some of you are going to have kids. Some of you are going to have a ministry or a career. You're going to start a business. You're going to have an opportunity to influence the world. God has great plans and great purposes for your life, a hope and a future. And here's what's so beautiful. Why don't we start praising him for that now? Tonight, December 11th, 2022. Like, let's be a people tonight who stand and sing and worship God, not just for what he's done, but for what he will do in your life. Because our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And whatever he promised in your life, he will deliver. So would you stand with me as I read this final thing over you? Tonight, I wanna call you not to praising for what God has already done, but for what he will do. Because proactive praise is the right way to wait on God's promises and plans. So child of God, tonight, I want you to remember that the God of the universe has planned and promised to do great things through your life. Trust him, believe him, and here on December 11th of 2022, let's worship God for what he's about to do next. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Mary. Thank you that this woman, this young woman, teenage woman shows us what it means to trust you and follow you. And I pray tonight that we would worship you, not just for what you've done, but for what you will do in our church, in our nation, in our world, in our families, and in each and every one of our lives. God, I pray that you would receive our worship and our singing tonight as worship and glory and honor to you. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said real loud. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope it blessed you. You can connect with us on social media at CalvaryHSM805. God bless.